with all wisdom, where we are applying biblical truth to your everyday life. My name is Derek Brown, and I'm here again today with Cliff McManus. We are both pastors at Creekside Bible Church in Cupertino, California, professors at the Cornerstone Bible College and Seminary in Vallejo, California. And today we want to do part two in our discussion on baptism. As uh, we talked about last time, baptism is important. It's a clear teaching in the New Testament. And out of obedience to Christ's commands, we want to obey him on the issue of baptism. So I encourage you to check out part one if you haven't already. It will be helpful. You can listen to this one without listening to part one, but I think it will be helpful. At the end of the day, we'd like you to listen to both of them. Uh, But uh, before we get on to our topic again today, just a reminder, go check out withallwisdom.org. Lots of great resources there on a variety of uh, theological, practical, and cultural topics. And our aim in everything that we're doing, including this podcast, is to help you grow in maturity in Christ. As Paul talks about the aim of his ministry was to do that very thing, Colossians 1.28, and he did it with all wisdom, relying upon divine wisdom, not his own. And that's what we want to do here. We want to tether ourselves to the Bible, and that's why we've tried to do our best to uh, get into the text of Scripture, talk about it, study it, exegete it, carefully uh, explain it, so that our ministry is tied to the Word of God and helping you mature in Christ. So let's talk again about baptism. Cliff, last time, gave us a great introduction, talked about several biblical texts that uh, discuss and explain baptism. He also defined for us that the word and how it's used throughout the New Testament and how it really does mean an immersion, an immersion, an identifying of a person, an enveloping of a person in, in whatever way they're baptized, whether they're baptized into Christ or baptized in the water or baptized into the church. And there's multiple ways the word baptism is used or baptizo is used, but that is the common denominator, you might say, among all those uses. And so now we want to talk specifically about a difference between two denominations, Baptists and Presbyterians, two denominations that have different practices, different convictions on this issue of baptism. And just real briefly, the differences are these. Uh, Baptists, that's Cliff and I are pastors at a Baptist church, Baptists believe that the proper recipients of baptism, namely that going underneath the water and and, uh, rising back up out of the water, First of all, we believe that is the proper mode of, of baptism, namely being going under the water and coming back up, not a sprinkling. Uh, but the proper recipients of it are uh, believers in the Lord Jesus, someone who has repented from their sins and believed in the Lord Jesus. That's the proper recipient of baptism according to the New Testament. Presbyterians, on the other hand, would say that actually uh, infants are the proper recipient, infants of believing uh, parents are the proper recipients of uh, baptism, and there you have theological reasons for that, as we'll discuss in a moment. But those are the differences, and they're different differences that are big enough to cause people that have different convictions on this issue to create different denominations and actually do church at different locations, different churches, because it's it's such a serious difference that uh, you couldn't really. Uh, be together and, and, and conduct church with uh, these kinds of convictions, because if you do believe that the proper recipients of baptism are only believers, then you're going to have a real hard time when uh, someone is making a case to baptize an infant, and vice versa. If you think baptizing an infant is, is following the Lord in obedience, then you're going to have a hard time with those who say it isn't. So that's 
one of the reasons you see a distinguishing of these denominations. Uh, some people, you know, they 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 get upset about having different denominations, and they talk about there needs to be unity in the body, and that's what Christ desires, and so on. And and of course, we would would say, of course, the uh, unity is something that the Spirit has wrought. It's something that Christ desires. It's something that we will experience in perfect in perfection someday in uh, glory. But uh, during this time here on earth, uh, actually, there are people who can split over petty things. That's true. Christians can split over petty things. But this actually will see this difference, this ecclesiastical difference actually reveals underlying theological convictions. And the creating of different denominations actually indicates that Christians care a lot about truth. And this is not something that we're willing to say, oh, we'll just eliminate baptism, as you mentioned last time, that there's a friend that you know that said, well, we're just going to, in order to preserve unity at our church, we're just going to eliminate baptism. Uh, we don't think that's the right thing to do. I think we uh, we're, we need to have our conviction on this issue, believe what is right on this issue, and uh, in, in the case of Baptists and Presbyterians, we've had to um, do church in different locations and in different denominations. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It indicates that Christians care a lot about truth and um, and obeying their conscience as it's convinced by the Word of God. So in this particular difference, though, like I said, it reveals theological differences. So you might think, well, what's the big deal? Either you baptize infants or you baptize believers. Uh, one of the things that Cliff pointed out last week is actually it isn't an important deal because it has to do with obedience to Jesus. Um, we see that in the Great Commission. You see it all throughout the New Testament that this is a command that Christ gave. And so we need, out of love for him, obey him. So it is an important issue. But even then, it also indicates that there are two different ways of, of viewing the covenants in the, the New Testament, or in the, the Old and New Testament, and you uh, get two different ecclesiastical pra- practices by how you view them. And so actually, our differences reveal uh, deeper issues. You could say that baptism is kind of the tip of the theological iceberg. You get down below baptism, and you discover, whoa, pretty significant theological differences between Presbyterians and Baptists, um, and that's revealed by this by this particular practice. Um, those who believe in something called paedobaptism, that's just another word for baptizing children, they believe that in the administration of the covenants, particularly the, the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant, you have an, in, uh, an inclusion of children. So, for example, a child who is born in Israel, he, once he's eight days old, he needs to be circumcised, and that circumcision is an indication that he is, belongs to the people of Israel out of obedience to Yahweh, he is circumcised, and that throughout the uh, time in Israel, all the males were to, all the male children that came out of the womb after eight days are to be circumcised, and that this uh, understanding of how circumcision uh, works and how this incorporation of children, this is an important part of covenantal theology, this incorporation of children is something that God had intended not only in the Mosaic Covenant, but also in every covenant, including the New Covenant. And I just want to read something from Derek Thomas, who's a Presbyterian who believes in baptizing infants. He says, it's precisely on the grounds of covenant theology that an argument is made for baptism of children of those who believe. At its core lies the argument of covenantal continuity in the administration of the covenant of grace. Put simply, children were included in the administration of the old covenant, then they should be included in the new, and after 
uh, more excellent and better covenant. So he's just saying that if children are included in the old administration, they should be included in the new administration. And um, that's why if you talk to a Presbyterian and you start to point out, as you did last week, which I thought was valid and I think we, we should do this, that you don't find the baptiz- baptizing of children commanded in the New Testament or a clear example of them being baptized in the New Testament. They would say, that's not the basis for our argument anyways. And they would point then to the household. You have text in Acts 11 and 16 and so on that talk about households being baptized. And they would say, judging from what we know about the Mosaic Covenant and the inclusion of children, when you come to these household baptisms and acts, you should just expect, if you're reading redemptive, histori- uh, redemptive history rightly, you should just expect that these household baptisms would have included the baptism of children of believing parents. And so they would say they don't need a specific example or a specific commandment. It's simply the natural flow of redempted history. And I think your point was great last week of just pointing out, listen, just to be clear, that this is something that is not clearly commanded. It's not commanded at all in the, in the New Testament. And uh, what I found is that Presbyterians, they'll typically uh, concede that point, but they'll point to these household baptisms. Um, really, the issue is um, uh, a, a misunderstanding, I would argue, of the New Covenant, particularly with regard to the membership of the New Covenant. So if you were to exam- examine the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, God says that it's a new covenant. It's going to be a new covenant. It's going to be a different covenant. And he contrasts it specifically with the old covenant that Israel broke time and time again. Uh, it's not going to be a covenant like that. It's going to be a covenant that his people will not break. Whoever is party to this covenant, they won't break the covenant. They will have a new heart. They'll have all their sins forgiven. My law will be written on their uh, heart, and they will no longer break uh, his covenant. And so in the case of the new covenant, what you have is a membership that is now going to the New Testament, understanding these things in light of the New Testament. You have a membership that is regenerate. Only people who are born again, you might say, who have God's word written on their, God's law written on their heart, who are uh, have all their sins forgiven, are members of the new covenant. That's different than the Mosaic covenant. You could be a believer in Israel, and you're worshiping Yahweh, and you love him. You know, David's an example. Samuel's an example. You have examples of people who love the Lord, loved his law in Israel. But by and large, Israel was a, a mixed community, meaning you had believers and unbelievers, but all of them were under the one covenant, the one Mosaic covenant. The new covenant is different precisely at that point of membership. That is, only those who are members of uh, or all, only those who are uh, regenerate, born again, forgiven of their sins, have God's law written on their heart, are members of that new covenant. And therefore, whenever the, uh, you receive, the, uh, receive baptism, for example, baptism should be only given to those who are members of the new covenant, and only regenerate People, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, can be members of that new covenant. And so really at, at bottom of the uh, this pre- push for infant baptism, I think, is a misunderstanding of the new covenant and how it relates to the old covenant, particularly at the level of covenant membership. Yeah, this is, this is the heart of the issue, Derek, so that's a great point. 
So to summarize it, maybe what you just said, the covenant theologian, as opposed to the Baptist theologian, will argue that baptism is to the new covenant what circumcision was to the old Mosaic covenant. Yeah. And you're saying, no, there's not identical continuity there. Right. Because you could be in the Mosaic covenant and not even be regenerate. Right. But be a bona fide member of it. Yeah, that's right. Got circumcised. That's right. Yet in the new covenant, in the New Testament, you must be born again spiritually. Right. Otherwise, you are not a member of the new covenant. Absolutely. And there's only one way to become a member, and that's by believing in the gospel, correct? Right. Exactly. Therefore, babies can't be, do that. Yeah, by definition. By definition. Yeah, by definition. So they're not included. This is the nexus of the issue. You quote Derek Thomas, just, I got a quote from Doug Wilson. Mm. So, I mean, Derek Thomas, R.C. Sproul, Doug Wilson, Robert Raymond, these are some of the most highly respected Presbyterian theologians who've written on this issue or talked about it. And Doug Wilson very recently gives a defense for 20 minutes on a video made on defending from the Bible infant baptism. Right. And his ba- he's trying to equate baptism with circumcision. Yeah. And to get there, here's this premise. He quotes from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, right. where God gives Abraham a covenant. Mm-hmm. And the sign of the covenant there is circumcision. Right. And then he says this, quote, tell me what you think of it. He said, the covenant that God gave to Abraham there in Genesis 17 is none other than the new covenant. That, that, let me say that again. Wow. The covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 17 is none other than the new covenant. Now, you're raising your eyebrows and you're speechless because <laughs> when I heard that, I was speechless too. Yeah. I'm thinking, wait. So I had to rewind it a few times. Right. I have never heard that before in my life. I've never heard anybody say. Yeah. The covenant God gave to Abraham was the new covenant. I think in the 37 commentaries I own in Genesis, they don't say that. And Doug Wilson could be the first person in the history of planet Earth who, who said that or believes that. Possibly. Maybe he got it from somebody else. Maybe. But that the problem is that is his starting point. Sure. That is the basis of his argument where he goes on for the next 17 minutes to defend that premise. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Wow. Then that is here's another wow. R.C. Sproul, in his most definitive defense of infant baptism, and he he starts out with a thesis, and here's his thesis to defend infant baptism. He says, This is a quote. I granted there is no explicit command to baptize infants in the New Testament. So he admits that. He can, he concedes, yes. But then he says this, but there is no explicit command that forbids infant baptism Mm. either. Therefore, and here's his conclusion, we are left to inference to figure this doctrine out, inference. That's a huge problem. That is, that's a huge problem. But you can understand why they, how they get there, because it is, it's built upon this particular understanding of yeah. these covenants, so that then when you do come to the New Testament, you don't need that explicit. But R.C. Sproul, I just think he he's not telling his listening audience that, well, actually, there is a, an explicit command about who should be baptized. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's those who hear the gospel, right. those who believe the gospel, those who repent. Right. He doesn't say that. Yeah. But he, he wants to build an entire doctrine of baptism just on inference. But, right. But you're right, The how important that is. Um, the, the understanding and the meaning of the new covenant versus the old. Yeah. And it's important to note, too, you know, uh, Derek Thomas talks about how if you walk your way through the Old Testament covenants, there's an incorporation of children into these covenants. I think it shouldn't go unnoticed that when you get to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Ezekiel is another important um, text uh, in, with regard to the new covenant. There's, there's not mention of children 
And then when you come to the New Testament, you find that this issue of offspring is, is quite different than it was in the Old Testament, actually. That now that the final offspring has come, namely Jesus, as you see in uh, Galatians chapter 3, the, the final offspring, so that, that everything is in, in, the New, in the Old Testament in terms of family and seed and offspring was all pointing towards and in, in, in getting us to the final offspring, namely Jesus, that then once you have the final offspring uh, come, now what matters is being united to that final offspring, uh, whether you are married or whether you are single. And so then the, uh, the issue is, is, is not children of, of, of your physical progeny, but rather not whether your children are true spiritual offspring, namely united to Jesus. And so this, I think even this issue of offspring is misunderstood and a little conflated, not really un- seeing the, the significance of Jesus being the final offspring and being united to, to him. They, they camp out on this physical offspring, and I think it's a, a spiritual offspring that is, is vital as you come to the New Testament. Um, another thing I want to take up just briefly, if you would, uh, so that's that's a distinction between Baptists and Presbyterians, and the difference lies in how you understand uh, the New Covenant. We think that it, understanding the New Covenant rightly, it, it becomes exceedingly clear who the recipients of baptism are supposed to be, believers in the Lord Jesus. That's why you don't see any commandment for infant baptism in the New Testament, and that's why you don't see any specific examples of it. Uh, another uh, issue regarding baptism, though, is the denomination, uh, the Church of Christ denomination. And uh, so they will uh, teach and have taught and, and, and currently do teach as a clear doctrinal distinctive that baptism is necessary for salvation. And you may think, Derek, you're making that up. I'm not making that up. Um, you can you can look it up on their official websites and individual churches, the Church of Christ denomination website, and they will, in some places it's clearer than others. In some cases you wonder if they're trying to soften it a little bit, not make it as bold and clear. But I will tell you anecdotally about a time when I, I was sitting down with a, a, a leader from a Church of Christ church just down the road, and I asked him just straightforwardly, I said, okay, just so I can understand your view on baptism, are you saying that if someone believes in Jesus, the time between the believing in Jesus uh, and the time that they are baptism, they are still under God's condemnation because they haven't received baptism? And he looked at me and said, without flinching, yes. And that is consistent with Church of Christ teaching. So, uh, Cliff, what are your thoughts on that particular – is that a is that a small deal? Is that something we can agree to disagree? No, this, or is, is, that... this is huge. I actually had uh, two very good, close friends who were in Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned about them. I was surprised because they seemed like good Christians. They believe in the Bible. They believe in Jesus. And then when it came to baptism, we had many conversations about it. So they they did. They believed in baptismal regeneration, mm. which really amounts to works righteousness, right. bottom line. It's not by grace through faith apart from works. It's yeah. by grace through faith plus the work of baptism. Right. That is clear. The Church of Christ. I've, I've warned our people, beware. Yeah. Be leery of it. There, there's a manifestation and offshoot of the Church of Christ uh, in various forms, and they go by different names. The mm. Church of Christ Los Angeles, the Church of Christ... Milwaukee, whatever, and they infiltrate. One of their favorite places to go is to college campuses. That's right. And they say they represent Christianity, but they don't. Right. It's um, this works righteousness, baptismal regeneration. 
It's uh, counterfeit. Right. And the way that they'll, it's interesting, and some of the stuff I read is they'll even, they'll say that baptism is not a work. Baptism is not a work. But the problem with that is, is that the way uh, the New Testament, particularly Paul, describes faith as our the means of justification is it's faith opposed to anything other than faith. Yep. <laughs> so anything other than faith uh, that you might add, whether it's baptism, even if you claim it's not a work, is actually truly a work that will damn you and keep you from believing in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Well, um, let me comment yeah. real quick, Derek, just so that people have some clarity on it's not a work. Great point. I would also say baptism is not a sacrament. Mm, right. You and I being Catholics in our former life, a sacrament, that comes from the Latin, and it literally means a ritual that imparts divine grace. It's like infused grace or infused yeah. – it's a, it's a work. It's right. not a sacrament. Right. So baptism, biblical baptism is not a sacrament. It's not a mystery. That's what the Catholic Church calls it. And baptism is not a means of grace. Mm. And a means of grace is another phrase uh, carryover from Roman Catholic theology that there are ways and increments of works you can do to earn special favor from God. Right. And, uh, and thank you for clarifying those those three aspects, because um, one of the things that I, Church of Christ uh, theologians will say is you look at the New Testament, and uh, there are sometimes in the book of Acts, for example, it looks like uh, the preacher, whoever, if it's Peter or somebody else, is basically saying that a person is baptized, and it's through that baptism that they receive the remission of sins, and so on. And one of the responses it can be is you can go through the same book of Acts and in the epistles and show that uh, multiple, multiple times, far more than those those few texts, you have a clear indication that actually salvation is dependent upon faith only, right? But the question is, is, is why is baptism tied so closely then to the preaching of forgiveness of sins? And that's because the early church and the early preaching of the gospel, the people who were preaching, sought to be a very important thing because it was a commandment of Jesus. So there was no this getting saved and then two years later deciding to get baptized. It was you believed in the Lord Jesus and you were baptized. Why? Absolutely. Because baptism is an is a graphic illustration of what has happened to you. You have died with Christ. You've you've gone down, you've died with Christ and you've been raised up with him to new life. You've been united with him. You are totally now identified with him. It's a beautiful picture. It's a, a public testimony and um and it's a, a clear obedience to Jesus. That's why it's closely connected sometimes in the preaching and Paul will sometimes even use he'll be talking about baptism, water baptism and spirit but ba- spiritual baptism all in kind of uh, one breath because of how close he saw these together. They weren't the same. You could distinguish them. You're not saved by baptism. Yeah, absolutely. It's the first act of obedience obedience. exactly, from being a Christian in the early church. Right. So we've covered a lot, and we thank you for hanging with us and and, and hanging with us in all these important theological conversations. We hope this has brought clarity to you on the importance of baptism, what it is, how you should do it, what it represents, who should be the recipients of it. And we we pray that you will find these to be edifying, helpful in your own walk with the Lord, your own discussions with, with people, even in your evangelism, even as you talk with relatives and friends about these differences, that you'll recognize that these aren't small, minor things, that these are important. They're a matter of obedience, and they reveal different and deeper theological commitments. We want to be faithful to Scripture. We want to be faithful to obey the Lord Jesus and all that He has taught. And we will continue to seek to equip you with truth from the Word of God and helping you apply it to your daily life until our next discussion 
We'll see you again soon and keep seeking the Lord in His Word.